Section 12, Volume 2 of the Book of A Thousand Nights and a Night. Translated by Richard Burton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night. Volume 2, Section 12 When it was the forty-sixth night, she said, It has reached me, O auspicious king, that after the ambassadors and retinue from the Constantinopolitan king had kissed the ground before Omar, and had delivered their embassage, they brought out the presents, which were fifty damsels of the choicest from Grecia land and fifty mamelukers in tunics and brocade, belted with girdles of gold and silver, each wearing in his ears hoops of gold with pendants of fine pearls, costing a thousand ducats every one. The girls were adorned in like fashion, and were clad in stuffs worth a treasury of money. When the king saw them, he rejoiced in them, and accepted them. Then he bade the ambassadors to be honourably entreated, and, summoning his vassirs, took counsel with them of what he should do. Herewith rose up among them a vassir, an ancient man, Dandan Heis, who kissed the ground before Omar, and said, O king, there is nothing better to do in this matter than equip an army valiant and victorious, and set over it thy son Sharkan with us as his lieutenants, and this reed commendeth itself to me on two accounts. First, because the king of Rome hath invoked thine assistance, and hast sent thee gifts which thou hast accepted and secondly because while no enemy dareth attack our country thine army may go forth safely and should it succour the king of grecia land and defeat his foe the glory will be thine moreover the news of it will be noised abroad in all cities and countries and especially when the tidings shall reach the islands of the ocean, and the kings of Mauritania shall hear it, they will send thee offerings of rarities, and pay thee tribute of money. The king, pleased by the vassar's words, and approving his reed, gave him a dress of honour, and said to him, Of the like of thee should kings ask counsel, and it seems fit that thou shouldst conduct the van of our army and our son Sharkan command the main battle. Then he sent for his son, who came and kissed ground before him, and sat down. And he expounded to him the matter, telling him what the ambassadors and the vassir Dandan had said, and he charged him to take arms and equip himself for the campaign, enjoining him not to gainsay Dandan in aught he should do. Moreover, he ordered him to pick out of his army ten thousand horsemen, armed cap api, and inured to onset a stress of war. Accordingly, Sharkan arose on the instant, and chose out a myriad of horsemen, 
after which he entered his palace and mustered his host and distributed largest to them saying ye have delay of three days they kissed the earth before him in obedience to his commands and began at once to lay in munitions and provide provisions for the occasion while sharkan repaired to the armories and took therefrom whatsoever he required of arms and armour and thence to the stable where he chose horses of choice blood and others when the appointed three days were ended the army drew out of the suburbs of baghdad city and king omar came forth to take leave of his son who kissed the ground before him and received from the king seven parcels of money and then he turned to dandan and commended to his care the army of his son and the wazir kissed the ground before him and answered i hear and i obey and lastly he charged Sharkan that he should consult the wazir on all occasions, which he promised to do. After this the king returned to his city, and Sharkan ordered the officers to muster their troops in battle array. So they mustered them, and their numbers was ten thousand horsemen, besides footmen and camp followers. Then they loaded their baggage on their beasts, and the war-drums beat, and the trumpets blared, and the bannerols and standards were unfurled, whilst Sharkan mounted horse, with the wazir Dandan by his side, and the colours fluttering over their heads. So the horse fared forth, and stinted not faring, with the ambassadors preceding them, till day departed and night drew nigh when they alighted and encamped for the night and as soon as allah caused the morn to-morrow they mounted and tried on guided by the ambassadors for a space of twenty days and by the night of the twenty-first they came to a fine and spacious wady well grown with trees and shrubbery here sharkan ordered them to alight and commanded a three days halt so they dismounted and pitched their tents spreading their camp over the right and the left slopes of the extensive valley whilst the wazir dandan and the ambassadors of king afridun pitched in the soul of the wady as for sharkan he tarried behind them for a while till all had dismounted and he had dispersed themselves over the valley sides he then slacked the reins of his steed being minded to explore the wady and to mount guard in his own person because of his father's charge and owing to the fact that they were on the frontier of grecia land and in the enemy's country so he rode out alone after ordering his armed slaves and his bodyguard to camp near the wazir dandan and he fared on along the side of the valley till a fourth part of the night was passed when he felt tired and drowsiness overcame him, so that he could no longer urge horse with heel. Now he was accustomed to take rest on horseback, so when slumber overpowered him, he slept, and the steed ceased not going on with him till half the night was spent, and entered one of the thickets, which was dense with growth. But Sharkan awoke not until his horse stumbled over wooded ground. 
Then he started from sleep and found himself among the trees. And the moon arose and shone brightly over the two horizons, eastern and western. He was startled when he found himself alone in this place and said the say which never yet shamed its sayer. There is no majesty and there is no might save in Allah, the glorious, the great. But as he rode on in fear of wild beasts, behold, the moon spread her glade light over a meadow as if it were on the meads of paradise. And he heard pleasant voices and a loud noise of talk and laughter captivating the senses of men. So King Sharkan alighted and, tying his steed to one of the trees, went over a little way till he came upon a stream and heard a woman talking in Arabic and saying, Now, by the crush of the Messiah, this is not well of you. But whoso utters a word, I will throw her and truss her up with her own girdle. He kept walking in the direction of the sound, and when he reached the further side, he looked, and behold, a stream was gushing and flowing, and antelopes at large were frisking and roving, and wild cattle amid the pasture moving, and birds expressed joy and gladness in their diverse tongues, and that place was perfled with all manner flowers and green herbs, even as a poet described it in these couplets. Most beautiful is earth in budding bloom, when lucid waters course through plain and wood. No work but his, the all-great, the all-glorious, giver of all gifts, giver of all good. And as Sharkan considered the place, he saw in it a Christian monastery, within whose enceinte a castle towered high in the air, catching the light of the moon. Through the midst of the convent passed a stream, the water flowing amongst its gardens, and upon the bank sat the woman whose voice he had heard, while before her stood ten handmaids like moons, and wearing various sort of raiment and ornaments that dazed and dazzled their beholder. High-bosomed virgins, as saith of them the poet in these couplets, the mead is bright with what is on't, O merry maidens debonair, Double its beauty and its grace, Those drooping damsels slender fair. Virgins of graceful swimming gait, Ready with eye and lip to ensnare, And like the tendrils vine they lose The rich profusion of their hair, Shooting their shafts and arrows from Beautiful eyes beyond compare, overpowering and transpiercing every froward adversaire. Sharkan gazed upon the ten girls, and saw in their midst a lady like the moon at fullest, with ringleted hair and forehead sheeny white, and eyes wondrous wide and black and bright, and temple locks like the scorpion's tail. And she was perfect in essence and attributes, as the poet said of her in these couplets. She beamed on my sight with a wondrous glance, and her straight slender stature and shamed the lance. 
she burst on my sight with cheeks rosy red, where all manner of beauties have habitants, and the locks on her forehead were lowering as night, whence issues a dawn-tide of happiest chance. Then Sharkan heard her say to the handmaids, Come ye on, that I may wrestle with you, and gravel you, ere the moon set and the dawn break. So each came up to her in turn, and she grounded them forthright, and pinioned them with their girdles, and ceased not wrestling and pitching them, until she had overthrown one and all. Then there turned to her an old woman who was before her, and the beldam said as in wrath, O strumpet, cost thou glory in grounding these girls? Behold, I am an old woman, yet I have thrown them forty times. So what hast thou to boast of? But if thou have the strength to wrestle with me, stand up that I may grip thee and set thy head between thy heels. The young lady smiled at her words, but she was filled with an inward wrath, and she jumped up and asked, O oh, my lady, Sat al-Dawahi, by the truth of the Messiah, wilt thou wrestle with me in very deed, or dost thou jest with me? And she answered, Yea. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. End of section 12 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 2 Read by Lars Rolander